I remember a story one Sunday morning when a wife went to wake her husband up for church. She goes in once and tells him to get up, it's time to go, and he just rolls back over. She comes in a second time and says, you've got to get up or we're going to be late. She leaves. What does he do? He rolls back over. Comes in a third time and says, you have to get up. If we don't get there now, we're going to miss the message. He looks up at her and says, give me three good reasons why I have to get up and go to church. She says, well, it's what the Lord commands of us. If you don't go, our family won't. And you're the pastor of the church and have to preach this morning. <laughs> if I've ever felt the embodiment of this story, it's, it's today. Um, after being trapped on the other side of the mountain last night for four or five hours, uh, I am super tired and weary this morning. Just to let you know, the more tired I am, the more southern I become. <laughs> I'm going to be real southern today. Bear with me. Uh, and also in that, my words will be made up and probably not real. <laughs> uh, but we, if you uh, have your Bibles this morning, if you would open up to Acts chapter 10. We are going to be finishing up uh, Acts chapter 10. Uh, Mitch preached the uh, first part of this. Uh, last week, and I'm going to be finishing up today, I believe we're going to start around verse uh, 24 or 25, somewhere around there, uh, and continue the story of two people, Cornelius and Peter. What we're going to be looking at today is what brought these two men together and the outcome of their meeting. I think this is uh, an amazing story, and one that we should remember, although I don't think we remember this part enough, but hopefully today I can ingrain this in your memory. So these two people, Peter and Cornelius, they're about 35 miles apart, and we've heard the story a couple of times, because the way these couple of chapters go in Acts, we hear about this story. Then we hear it again, and then Peter goes to the place, and then we hear the story again. I think it's probably real important that we remember this. A lot of times when things are repeated two or three times in the Bible, it's because of in uh, Jewish culture, and when you repeated something two or three times, it showed the importance of that. But we're looking at today what caused Peter to go to Cornelius. And while I want to say that the cause of that is lordship, do y'all know what lordship is? Let me read for you Psalm 86, verse 1. It says, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God, Savior, servant, who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. See, lordship, spe specifically in Christianity, 
is when we give lordship to Christ, when we acknowledge Christ's ownership of our life, when we yield all of our wants, our desires, our direction to the Lord. If the Lord is Lord of your life, you are going to do what he tells you. And I think this plays out in Corinthians 10. We see, remember, I'm going to glaze over what kind of Mitch has talked to us about and hit some points that play in today. We have Cornelius who had this vision from an angel, and he sent some people to go find Peter. And we have Peter who has another vision who hears from the Lord, go with these people to this place. And eventually he does. What caused Peter to go was the Lord. But remember Peter. Let's remember way back in Peter's life. And let's do some uh, consideration here. When Jesus went to call Peter, do y'all remember what Peter was doing? Fishing. He was fishing. Why? He was a fisherman. He had a fishing boat. Not just that, but he was like the master of his own ship. He had people that worked for him, people that fished for him. He knew his trade. He had been a fisherman all his life. And what does Jesus say when Peter's having a hard time and can't find the fish? Oh, not yet. Yeah, catching it on the other side. He can't find the fish. And Jesus says, this random stranger, out of nowhere, shouting from the banks, Hey! You don't know how to fish. <laughs> fish are on the other side of the boat. <laughs> Look, growing up in Alabama, we fished a lot. <laughs> I wouldn't listen to that. And I'm sure that Peter was like, oh, you're crazy. Who are you to tell me how to be a fisherman? But he doesn't. And what happens? He has net is so full, he can't pull it in. Going on later in Peter's life, we see Peter, I feel like he needs to be told three times different things. One time when uh, Jesus says that everyone depart from me, Peter says, no, not I, Lord. And what does he do? Jesus says, you'll die him three times. And he goes on after the rooster crows, or before the rooster crows, he denied him three times. Coming back to him and Jesus, Jesus comes to Peter and says, do you love me? How many times? Three times. And here again, we see in this vision, when in this vision, he is told to eat, how many times do you think? Three times. Mm -hmm. It may be a little stubborn. I, I, I generally call Peter hesitating Peter. I feel like he hesitates just a little bit. He, he hasn't fully grasped onto the lordship of Christ. He hasn't fully given over to the Lord full control and obedience. And I think that's why Peter is specifically used in this situation. Eventually, Peter comes down after he told, he told that people are coming to grab him. And you will go with them without hesitation. And Peter goes down and he sees these people who he was told to go with. And what does he do? He hesitates. He's like, who are you? Why have you come? 
but eventually he does go with them. Now let's look at some the different side of this from Cornelius' side. This is a Roman soldier who is over many people. If you have ever been in, in the military or if you ever have had someone in your life that is in the military, they do things pretty structured generally. They do things pretty quick. And if you ever have known someone that's been in a higher position in the military that had authority in the, the military, they generally have that same authority around them in different aspects of your life. And this is a man who hears from the, an angel and says, go find this man. He's like, yes. And he sends out his subordinates to go find this man. Now, he probably goes up to these two Soldiers or friend, he's like, go to this town, find this random person. He's with a tanner, and they go and do it. Now, I would, I would have some questions. I'm like, why? Uh, why again? But they go and find him. But even though Cornelius didn't really know Jesus, he knew God and was starting to understand. There's another story about authority and lordship. There's another centurion who comes to Jesus and says, I have a subordinate who is sick. Will you heal them? And Jesus says, yes, let us go to your house so that I can heal this man. And the centurion says, he doesn't just say, like, no, you can't come to my house. He just says, no, Lord. I, too, am a man of authority. I tell this servant to come, and he comes, and I tell this other one to go, and he goes. You, Lord, have the power and authority. He's talking about over earth, over everything. And he says, if you command him to be healed, he will be healed. So Jesus says, never have I met a man with such faith. He says, your servant is healed. And as the centurion goes away, he meets someone else who says, your servant was healed at such and such he believed in the lordship of Christ. There is this children's minister by the name of Julia Thibodeau, that is a New Orleans name. If you know any stories of the Thibodeau families, they're generally Joes. But Julia Thibodeau, I believe, is one of the most prolific children's ministers of this age. And as she is teaching children about the worship of Jesus Christ, she, as she is leading them to salvation, she says, repeat after me. And she says, who is Jesus? And she teaches them that Jesus is the master and boss of their life. And I always love that. And I love being able to see the little children run up to their parents after they accepted Christ and they're like, Mom, Dad, I made Jesus master and boss of my life. Is he master and boss of your life? And on a couple occasions, I've seen this, and the look on their parents' face when they realize their child has made a decision that they haven't. She is empowered. Jesus calling. She is empowered. Those kids to share the gospel with their parents. See, in our lives, we cannot be mastered by have two masters. 
Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Again, in Revelations 3, 15 and 16, it says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. We have to make a decision if we're going to make Christ Lord of our lives, if we are going to obey and follow after him. Because we can't follow after him and follow after other things, other importance in our lives. Not that things can't be important in our life, but we can't make them more important than Christ. We're also part of a, a young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, What may I must I do to inherit the kingdom? As Jesus talks with him, he says, You need to give away all your possessions. And the young ruler walks away because he had many things. He had not chose the Lord to be his master and boss of his life. He, he was trying to have two masters and did not want to give up money. And this is a decision that we have to make. Are, have we truly given over lordship to Christ? Are we following after him? Are we following his commandments and doing what he has told us to do? Can we follow after him? Because church family, Christ the Lord has given us direction. He has given us commandments. He has given us what to do in his word. Are we following it? Let's pick up the verse 25 here. As we now we've seen, Peter has come with the people that have come to God, get him. And some other people go with him, starting in verse 25. It says, As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, or fell at his feet and worshipped him. It says, But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. A lot of, a lot of Acts is creating the foundations of the church the early church and building itself and teaching us what we should and shouldn't do. And here, we've seen throughout Acts and some other places where different disciples and people were worshipped. We have Paul and Barnabas who are called gods and worshipped. And they say, no, do not worship us. But then they still want to worship who they thought was gods and then try to run who they thought were gods out of their city. I don't think those people knew what they were doing. <laughs> we also have a time where people tried to worship Christ's mother, Mary, in Jesus' rebukes. And even in Revelation, uh, when John was having his revelation, he tries to bow down and worship the angel, and the angel says, do not worship me. We all serve the same God. And here, Peter points out, no, 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 I am just a man. I am not who, you, who was brought here for you to worship. And he's about to tell them who they are to worship. 
But he, he points out here, I am not, nor any other person, the, uh, the other apostles, any other people who you are to worship. There's only one God that you are to worship and to pray to. Now there are other, other cultures, other religions, we talk about praying and worshiping to, to other saints, other disciples. But I think it's clearly pointed out that we are not to worship the disciples. We are not supposed to worship Mary. And I think one of the confusions between uh, about the uh, Catholic Church is people think they worship and pray to Mary, some of the disciples. And that's generally what the majority of them don't believe, although they do pray to some of the saints or disciples in Mary. But we are also told that there is one interceptor for us between us and God, and that is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is before God and he brings our prayers to God as a memorial to him. And that is God that we are to pray to. It is Christ that we are to pray to. Since Christ was Lord and boss of their lives, of Peter and soon to be Cornelius, their lives took on meaning and did something important. And because that there was his lordship, they did what was demanded of them. He gave them commands and showed them what to do. If Christ, if we have to call to Christ as our Lord, Savior, and boss of our lives, how much more should we listen to his commands that he has given us in his words and follow them? In that, as, as Peter was with Christ, he was taught to do some things. As he was making God Lord of his life, he was told what to do. And sometimes hesitantly, he followed God or followed what Christ commanded of him to do. But in that, I believe that he was taught how to fast and pray. Before great movements, there was fasting and prayer. Did y'all know that? Yes. Before big things happened in the Bible, before big things happened in our lives, there probably, there was and there should be fasting and prayer. Have you ever been weak? Have you ever been weary? I definitely am after being trapped on the other side of the mountain. Have you ever had big moments in your life? Have you ever had important moments that were going to happen in your life? If you have, we can look at Scripture and see what we should do. See, Christ often taught his disciples to pray and fast. Before Christ was taken away, when he was in the garden, what was he doing? He was praying. Before they broke bread, a lot of times they did what? They would pray. When Christ sent out the disciples and they came back and said, there are some that we couldn't heal or cast out these demons, what did he say they needed to do? They needed to fast and pray. Before different revivals that have happened in the U.S. and around the world, there was prayer. 
If y'all heard of the Haystack Prayer or the Haystack Revival, there's a group of men that came together and started praying. And out of that prayer came revival. When I was in college, our college ministry had gotten to a plateau and we wanted to grow and meet new people. So one of our campus ministers said, let's meet every morning at 5 a.m. and pray. And the college student said, well, I'm just going to sleep about that time. But a group came together with Brent Rowe and they started to pray. And the ministry started to grow in a way that they had no room. The seminary that I graduated from, NOBTS, started from five or six men coming together to pray for a place to train up pastors and missionaries. I believe that when Peter was up on the roof, he was fasting and praying. Now, then it does not specifically say that he was fasting. This is my interpretation of that. Uh, and here's why. I said he was hungry. They were making food for him when he came downstairs. He had a vision about what? Food. If you have ever fasted for a long period of time, especially with a spouse, you know when you are fasting, you will become what? Not hungry. Hangry. <laughs> Your spouse can probably attest to this. That when you go about eating, you become a little difficult to deal with. I know that when I fast, sometimes like my mental capacity, my processing speed will kind of slow down. As much as I like to call Peter, hesitating Peter, as he came downstairs and met with them, he was like, who are you? Why are you here? Maybe he was... A little slow for being hungry, Titus just me reading into it. But it does say that he was praying. And something big came out of that. If you look at Cornelius, what does the angel say to him? It says, because of your what? Prayers and alms, something big is going to happen. Let's look at verse 27. Continue on, it says here in verse 27, it says, Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, now, this is Peter we're talking about, so let's be prepared for this. Continue on, it says, You are all well aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Stop there for a second. Sometimes you just want to say, come on, Peter. I mean, that was the first thing you say to this group of people who God specifically gave you a vision for, brought you here, and the first thing out of your mouth is, I shouldn't associate with you. I think there's a reason why things are told with Peter three times. A little slow. He was just getting over fasting. But, there's a but. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now it was told to him three times. It was ingrained in him. So when I was sent for, I came without hesitation or any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? I feel like there were these points 
in this story. Where when Peter came downstairs and met with these people, he was like, who are you and why are you here? I feel like if this was me, there would have been an angel smacking me in the back of the head. I feel like here too, when he was like, I came without any hesitation, if it was me, there would have been an angel smacking me in the back of the head at this moment. But what God was instilling into Peter, what God was speaking into him, was that Christ was a chain breaker. Christ came to set people free, not just from their sin, but also from these hardships, these, these hard tensions that they had between the, the Jewish people and the Gentiles, between all people. Christ had came to set us free to break chains and to let us know that in him there is no partiality, that whoever accepts Christ is our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be ready for that change. We need to be ready for those other people who accept Christ to come into the family. For we need to be ready with open arms and open doors for whoever comes into our church as we are beginning to do outreaches and reaching the community so that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that what? That Christ is Lord and boss of our lives. Let's jump down here to verse 33. So I sent for you immediately. This is going through. This is again, we're skipping over as they're re-talking about the vision that he had. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in your presence of in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to say. This is every preacher and every missionary's dream. Literally, God sent me somewhere. Because God told them to come get me so that I could tell them about Jesus Christ. This man has gathered all his friends and family for me to tell them. And they're all there waiting to hear what I have to say. And like God set this all up, something's going to happen, right? Oh man, that would be so exciting. Let's continue on verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. Now we gotta, ooh, we gotta be careful here. Peter's opening his mouth. <laughs> What's gonna come out? I hope it's good. I think it is. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Oh, thank you, Peter. You get it finally. But accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel. Tell the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Verse 37. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's that southern preacher from now. <laughs> Verse 39. We are all witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. 
he was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Listen to this, verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who God appointed as judge of all the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel, right? That's what we, we preach to people. That's what we want our community and everyone to hear and receive. But also in that is the great commission where Christ sent us out to the nations to teach them to, to obey, to be baptized. When I was uh, in college, I went next to this man. He was a, a jack-of-all-trades. Do you know what jack-of-all-trades is? They're, they generally know a little bit about everything. Like, they're like a carpenter, they're a plumber, uh, they're an air-conditioner repairman. They probably can fix the street. In New Orleans, that's a big problem. There are potholes in New Orleans that I can stand up in. <laughs> but this man was a jack of all trades. And he was in his mid to late 70s. He, lived, he was living in the house next to us when we moved in. And one day I went over to see if he had a bolt cutter to cut off a lock that one of my roommates put on our garage that he didn't have the key for. <laughs> he might have known a little bit about Peter, I feel like. But he took me into his garage, and it was the entire bottom of his house, and he had tools of every kind from every era. Have any of y'all ever been to a Cracker Barrel? <laughs> there were some that looked like they were out of a Cracker Barrel, because the Cracker Barrel was filled with items from like the 1800s, and he had tools I felt like that were from Jesus' day. But he took me over to a wall in his basement that had bolt cutters on it. See, he had a few of them. One on his wall looked brand new. It looked beefy. It looked like it probably had a diesel engine on it, even though it was hand-powered. It looked like you could cut sheet metal for days. I was like, oh, he's going to get that one. But he grabbed this old one that had dust and cobwebs on it, and he wipes it off, and he shows it to me, and he says, show me the lock that needs cutting. I'm like, I kind of wanted the bolt cutters to go break the lock off. How often do I get to do that? But we went over to my house, and he looked at the lock, and he said it's going to be a tight fit, but I'll get it. He put the bolt cutter up to the lock, and it barely fit around the lock. And he starts crying, and he's putting all of his strength, and he's stressing, and he's trying to get the lock to break off. But I'm like, I'm young, I'm in college, I'm looking at this man, he's like half my size, and I'm like, man, I'm thinking like, oh man, I need to tell this guy that I can do this, that I know how I can do this better, and then snap, 
it breaks. The bolt cutter, not the bolt. <laughs> Half the cutting edge broke off. I'm so worried. I feel like I've done this. I look at him. I'm like wringing my hands together. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'll replace it. I can go get you a new one. And he looks at me and says it's a tool. Now it will fit the job. And he puts it back up on the lock and cuts it easily. And he says, and I'll never forget this. He looks at me and he says, he could have used the new one that he had. Maybe one from Jesus' day. He says, but if I only use the new one, it would get worn out. And it will broken before it's time. But if he uses all of his tools equally, They'll all be in good shape and ready to use at any time. He said, I could use them all at once or I can loan them out to do many jobs. This one, he said, had one more use to it. He said, you know what? I can even take this broken tool back to my shop and I can put a new cutting edge on it and I can still get some more jobs out of it. Church family, Luma, let me ask you this. Are you alive today? Yes. Are you alive today? Yes. yes. Did you wake up this morning? Yes. yes. Did you wake up hurting? Yes. I don't know why I did. <laughs> did your back hurt? Yes. Yes. Did your were your feet swollen? Yes. Did your knees not want to hold you up? Yes. Were you asking God why didn't you take me home? I'll tell you why. Because God isn't done with you. See, God still has work for you to do. If he hasn't taken you home, you're not done yet. God has a plan for you. He's prepared works for you. And when it's your time, he's going to say, well done, my true and faithful servant. He's going to call you and I home. But until then, he still has plans for you and I. There are still people that need to be reached. There are still people in the neighborhoods around us that need to hear the gospel, that need to hear us and see us go out to them. There are friends and family that you need to reach. Now you can say to me, Pastor, I don't have any friends. We'll start walking down your street knocking on doors. There ain't no one on my street. You got a street next to you. And after you've, you've reached everyone in your neighborhood, there's other neighborhoods around where you can go to the mall and meet people. Every day, let's go do laps around our neighborhood or around the mall and share the love of Christ with them and let them know who needs to be Lord of their lives. And if you come to me and say, Pastor, they keep saying no. Come to your brothers and sisters and their church family so that we can pray, that we can fast, and we can encourage you because God is not done with you yet. But until then, we need to be prepared to reach out to those who are around us, to reach out to our community and invite them to our home, to our church family. Do you see what happens when we give lordship to Christ? When we obey what he calls us to do, big and mighty things will be done. And we see here what happens to Peter. 
And this is what we need to remember and be thankful for. Because a second Pentecost happens. And it happens for the Gentiles. And Peter is able to usher it in here. And as I'm drawn to a close, I want to look at these two different types of Pentecost. And I want to finish out. I want to read verses 44 to the end for us. If y'all read with me as we're coming to a close. It says, while well, Peter was still speaking. And sometimes it's good when Peter maybe closes his mouth. But it says, while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And prayerfully, Peter didn't say anything more about Jews and Gentiles. Not associated. There are two Pentecosts. We all remember the one that happened at the beginning of Acts and Acts 2. As the disciple came out, he gave up a message and preached to all the Jewish people that were there in Jerusalem. This was a hard message as he spoke to them from the Old Testament. He spoke to them about their forefathers, about the prophets who had come. It was a hard message and one about repentance. But in the end, they believed and received the Holy Spirit. Here, as Peter gives this message to the Gentiles, man, it's like the simple message. It's like those little kids ran up to their parents and asked them, who is boss and master of your life? He just says, hey, here's Jesus. You all want to accept him? And they do. They believe and they're baptized. And he turns around and he asks, are there anyone who says they can't be baptized? Now, it says a group of the circumcised came with him. There was a group that was causing problems amongst the Gentiles, amongst the non-Jewish, non-circumcised people who said, if you were to come to Christ, you had to be circumcised. And I don't know if these were naysayers that just came with Peter or they were his true friends. But I think there's a reason he looks around and says, is there anything stopping them? And the answer is no. They baptize them. And that's what we have been called to do, church family. Our band's going to come up and play us in one last song. But we've been called, in, and the end of Matthew 28 is the Great Commission, as we're called to go out into the community, teaching them to obey the commandments of life of the Lord. Causing God to be our Lord. Obeying his commandments. Sharing the gospel with those around. And leading them in baptism. No one is beyond reach. But we have to reach them. Church family, we're going to be doing an outreach in our community soon. We need your prayers for it. We need you to volunteer your services to join with us in prayer and reaching out to the so that we can share the gospel message with them. Church family, if you would go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes.